Welcome to episode 15 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, you'll learn the top five reasons to listen to the advice of your younger brother. Then we have a new feature that will get you ready for adventure. On the Backpack Hack of the Week, you'll learn how to have the nicest looking waterproof matches on the trail. A fictitious listener sends in a question to the first 40 miles, and we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from an absolute saint. All this, and that's about it, today on the first 40 miles. Well, first, I just want to say a big thank you to our listeners. We just have such a fun time connecting with you guys on Twitter, on Facebook, and I have a feeling if we all got together for a big backpacking trip that we would we would have a lot of fun sharing stories around the campfire. There is a fiber out there to be reckoned with, and that fiber is alpaca. Alpacas are from the camelid family, which I assume is the same family that camels are in. They have absolutely beautiful eyes. I think they're just beautiful (laughs) animals. They produce a soft, durable, luxurious, silky, natural fiber. It's really similar to sheep's wool in that it's warm, really insulating even when wet, and it actually has no lanolin in it, which makes it hypoallergenic. It's naturally water repellent, and it's similar in structure to merino wool. There are two main breeds of alpacas that are used for fiber. One is the wakaya, and they produce kind of a crimped, dense fiber. And then the other alpaca breed is called the suri, and they produce more of a silky, slick fiber. And if you put an alpaca fiber strand underneath a uh, microscope, you can see that the softness comes from having a smoother scale surface. So different than sheep's wool. It's going to actually physically look different than the sheep's wool fibers. Fiber diameter plays a big part in the softness. So the finer the diameter, the softer it's going to be. And this is actually something that alpaca breeders can breed for. Usually, if you buy something that's made of alpaca, it's going to be blended with another fiber, like merino, wool, or acrylic, nylon, spandex, lycra. And they do that to increase performance, comfort, or durability. So I actually talked today with Gina from Whoopwear, and they sell alpaca clothing. You'll find the base layers there. You'll find insulating layers, hat, scarf. And she said that alpaca is really gaining momentum and it's getting more and more attention for three reasons. She said that alpaca is warmer, lighter, and stronger. So whoopwear.com, that's W-O-O-P-W-E-A-R.com is a really great place to start for the most basic of all backpacking clothing, and that's the base layer. They use a blend of baby alpaca fiber and wool. So I asked Gina at Whoopwear, so, so what, is, what is baby alpaca fiber? And she said, well, it's not from baby alpacas. It actually refers to the grade of alpaca fiber. So that makes me think of baby carrots in the grocery <laughs> store. They're not really baby carrots. Baby alpaca fiber is 18 to 20 microns. 
which means it's very soft. It's an up-and-coming fiber, and I think a lot of people are, are noticing alpaca and incorporating it into the clothing that they buy. Anyway, we'll put a link to Whoopwear in the show notes so you can go check them out. Well, next up on today's show are the top five reasons to bring your smartphone on a backpacking trip. Now, I read that and I thought, wait a minute. On our very first episode of the first 40 miles, episode number one, the top five list was the top five things that you can do without on a backpacking trip. And the number one thing on that list was that you could do without your phone. Well, I have to tell you, I had a conversation with my brother the other day about the first 40 miles, um, that first episode where we featured the top five things that you can live without while backpacking. And it actually really bothered and confused him as to why I would recommend leaving your Swiss Army phone at home when a smartphone is such a fabulous, lightweight, multi-use tool. And just so you know the backstory, it's not the first time that my brother and I have disagreed on something. (laughs) When we were kids, I used to try and convince him that we should combine our money. You know, if I had $5 and he had 10, well, it only made sense that together we would have $15, which was much more than either one of us had. And it was like this mini empire, you know, that would lead to fights between us about whose money was actually whose. And it never worked out. (laughs) Our empire fell pretty quickly. So Blair, my brother, wanted me to make sure that the first 40 milers weren't missing out on the tools that a smartphone can provide on the trail. So I would like to take this moment and say, Blair, you were right. (laughs) And I'll share with you the top five reasons to bring your smartphone on the trail. Number one, it's a super light camera. So you could probably consider leaving your wedding beast at home and bring along your little four ounce camera. And really what you want to do with your phone on the trail is just capture memories, get those facial expressions, those funny moments. You're not really trying to make the cover of National Geographic. So you're just trying to save those memories. And the nice thing about current technology is that if you're not pleased with the photos you've taken, there are open source photo editing programs like GIMP that can correct a multitude of sins. There's also a new product that I just discovered It's called the Olo Clip Camera Clip. It's a special lens that you can clip onto your iPhone um, 4, 5, and 6, or your Samsung 4, 5. And it does things like the fisheye, wide angle, macro, and you just kind of move it around depending on what you need. If you happen to have an iPhone 6, you can actually get a telephoto lens that just clips right on. And they're so small. I mean, really, just maybe, I'm guessing an ounce, ounce and a half for this little Olo clip that clips right onto your your phone. So we'll put that in the show notes so you can go check it out. And the number two reason to bring your smartphone, you can use it to take notes. It's a great way to journal, to document the trip, or to even take notes for your next trip. Um, Sometimes I even use my phone to take audio notes. We have a friend who loves birds. So, you know, if we heard a bird on the trail that we wanted identified, we could easily just record that and email it off to him when we got home. Number three, a smartphone can store all of your music and podcasts. You know, I find a lot of comfort on the trail through music. I think it makes long stretches on the trail more enjoyable and it just provides a soundtrack for the trip. And who wouldn't want to take the first 40 miles podcast complete series with them. The complete series. 
So number four, you can download tool apps. So what I mean by tool apps is like a clinometer, an altimeter, a compass, a navigation tool, or some kind of mapping tool. So one that I really enjoy is MyTracks, and it's free, and it can track your speed, your distance, your elevation. Because of where you are, it may not always be synced with a map, but it will track your data even if you're out of cell range. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we took a family hike uh, out into the Oregon coast range, and we were in a spot where there was no cell service. Didn't really know that in advance. And then on top of that, we were sort of just going through the woods. Like it started out that there was kind of a trail, and then it became less and less of a trail. <laughs> and eventually, we were not quite sure that we were really going to make it back around to where there was a trail. But I did have my tracks going on my phone. And like I say, no cell service. So we didn't have a map. We didn't know exactly where we were on the map. However, my tracks was still tracking us. And so I could look on my phone. And even though the map itself was blank, I could see our track. And I knew that we were indeed looping around and that we would eventually come back to a spot, you know, of trail that we had already walked and be able to make it back down uh, to the car. Another thing you can download is a clinometer, and this actually helps you check the incline of a trail by just holding out your phone and uh, using your eyes to kind of match up the incline of the trail with your phone. So when you feel like a trail is really steep, you can just whip out your phone and actually use the clinometer to check exactly how steep that trail is. You can also use an altimeter. My altitude app says that we're recording the first 40 miles at 172 feet above sea level. Woohoo! Yep. Low on oxygen. <laughs> yeah, really. We're getting way up here. Yeah. And then a compass app. Those are pretty basic. Or a navigation app. Sometimes you can find a navigation app that has a compass on it. The number five, top five reason to bring your smartphone is for search and rescue. I have no idea how pinging works. Well, I can explain it a little bit. When you're out and about with your cell phone, uh, your cell phone is actually aware of multiple cell towers, and it picks the one that has the best signal and then kind of sends its data through that tower for a while, right? And then as you're driving down the road or something, you know, after a while, your cell phone decides that there's actually another tower that's a little bit better, and it goes ahead and switches over to that one and sends its data that way. But the point is that it's aware of multiple towers and has been kind of pinging those towers. And so search and rescue teams can look at the records from multiple cell towers and find out, oh, you know, this person's cell phone was visible to these three or four cell towers. And also, the cell towers happen to know pretty precisely how far away your cell phone is based on the signal timing. And so if it was, you know, a half mile away from one tower and three quarters of a mile away from another, and a half mile from another, then you've got these three um, circles that are going to intersect somewhere. And that's the triangulation. So then the cell towers know uh, where your phone is. Now, one of the new ideas, and I don't even know if this is being done yet, but, but you know, say you're out in a place where there's no cell reception at all. Well, one of the new ideas today is that search and rescue teams could actually take their own cell tower with them. It'd be just a mini cell tower not a big thing. And then they could turn that on and it would act like a cell tower 
and your phone would connect to it, and now they would know how far away you are from their cell tower. And of course, they could move their cell tower so they know if they're getting closer to you or further away from you. Well, just remember to keep your phone on airplane mode so you can conserve the battery, and then keep it close to your body at night so the battery stays warm so it won't deplete itself quickly, and keep it dry and protected by stowing it in a quart freezer zip-top bag. If you bring the cell phone, use it for certain things and keep it off when you're not using it for those things. You can't just bring it along as a general entertainment device unless you bring a lot of backup power to recharge it. So you've got to be intentional about how you're going to use the cell phone. Today on the first 40 miles, we have a new segment, Ready for Adventure. So the way this segment works is that we're going to set up a hypothetical situation for a backpacking trip. We've got a few questions to think about, and then we're just going to talk our way through that scenario and what we would do for that backpacking trip. And you get to play along, think about what you would do to get ready for the trip. So, Heather, are you ready for adventure? Heck yes. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Here's the scenario. You've been invited on a two-night backpacking trip by a couple of close friends that you knew in college. Now, these aren't the partying type of friends. These were like the stay up till midnight talking type of friends. Yeah, I never had any partying type friends. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think? What would you start out? Well, if I'm going with, with a couple of close friends, then um, we could probably share gear. Like I would probably bring the water filter and someone else could bring a stove. But I would probably bring my own tent. And because these are close friends, I would definitely bring a camera because there'd be a lot of great camera opportunities. Do you think you would uh, plan your meals together or each of you on your own for meals? No, that's a good point. Yeah, meals together. That would be fun. Might be fun, especially if you had some favorite meals that you had in college. Oh, Top Ramen, for sure. Oh, right. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Here's the plan. Six miles on the first day, and then you're actually going to stay in camp the entire second day. And then, of course, six miles back out on the third day. Well, I probably, since we're in camp the whole next day, I wouldn't want to wear hiking shoes that second day. Probably something a little bit lighter, some kind of insulated, lightweight, closed-toe camp shoe. And since it's March, yeah, not flip-flops. So something like uh, Packums or something that could be folded up and just jammed in my pack and pretty lightweight. Well, your friends have picked a low elevation trail. You know, their thought is you're going to want to be able to do a lot of catching up so they don't want the trail to really get in the way. Uh, you, you have that opportunity to kind of talk on your way. Well, if it's going to be low elevation, then there's pretty much a 0% chance of snow. Yeah, true. In fact, temperatures are forecasted to be in the mid-50s. In the nighttime, it's probably going to get down to the upper 30s. Mm. Uh, how do you think you'll prepare for that sort of weather? Probably a light to medium weight base layer. Yeah, probably more like medium weight, I guess, if it's going to be in the upper 30s. Upper 30s isn't too far away from mid 30s, and that's a little bit too cool for me. So yeah. I would definitely pack a long sleeve, quick dry shirt, possibly wool, quick dry or wool. I can't decide yet. Bring my insulating fleece and then a synthetic insulated puffy and probably a little bit heavier weight wool hiking socks just so I can have that extra warmth. Also, because I'm such a wimp when it comes to cold weather, I would probably pack an air-activated 18-hour hand and body warmer 
something like hot hands or yak tracks. Okay, sounds like that'll be your luxury <laughs> that you'll pack along on this trip. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the piece I didn't tell you about the weather yet is that the uh, rain forecast is 40%. So 40% probably isn't enough to deter us from going. Like it doesn't mean it's going to rain 100% of the time. Right. You could have some intermittent rain. So yeah, I'll bring my rain gear for sure and an umbrella and a super absorbent camp towel. And then I would pack my waterproof Keens and probably wouldn't rely on fire to keep me warm since most of the wood would probably be waterlogged. So I'll just rely on my clothing to keep me warm and then just make sure that I stay dry. So do you feel like you're ready? I am ready for adventure. <laughs> Sounds good. But day two comes along and you wake up with a rash. This doesn't sound like fun anymore. <laughs> a thousand small bites or something. You don't know what? if it's a rash or bites all over your arms. And you look around, you don't see anything that could have caused it. Now what? Still, it's not a cause to go home or to panic or anything. It's not life or death. And if I don't see any bugs around that could have caused it, I'm guessing that I probably just brushed up against something that kind of irritated my skin. Or, um, you know, it could have been some detergent that I used the day before that ended up on my skin. So, yeah, I'm not too concerned about it. I'd probably just use some uh, some balm or something on my arm to make sure that it's protected. And that's going to be in my first aid kit anyway. Yeah, as you've said pretty frequently over the years, it'll either get worse or it'll get better. And, you know, if it doesn't get worse, enjoy your trip, right? And no, no reason to come home over something small and I think it's one of the great things about backpacking is that you really learn to, to roll with the punches and just uh, enjoy being out there, even if little things get in the way of your comfort. Well, this sounds like a great trip. Hope you have fun catching up with your friends. Well, I hope our audience had fun playing along. Yeah, me too. Well, we have a really quick backpack hack of the week for you this week. It's waterproof matches. Now, the way that you did waterproof matches when you were in Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts was to dip them into paraffin. Well, over time, the paraffin-dipped matches get bumped around in your pack, and that paraffin ends up getting knocked off. So we found a better way to waterproof your matches. And all you need are a box of wooden matches and a bottle of fingernail polish. And you can get creative with this and pick whatever color you like. I prefer clear. You're going to dip each match in the bottle of clear nail polish and let it dry on a piece of parchment paper and then put the matches back in the box. So just a little warning, this does not waterproof the striker. So if your whole box of matches gets wet, you're gonna have to figure out how to dry out that striker really quickly. <laughs> uh, something on which to strike your, exactly. your fancy, uh, fancy colored waterproof match. Mine aren't fancy colored though. <laughs> I know, you went with clear, but uh, you know, it could be hot pink or purple or blue. <laughs> well, okay, so I just have a couple of favors to ask if you're gonna do this backpack hack. One is don't bring the fingernail polish on, on the backpacking trip, please. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Please do this in advance. <laughs> and and even better yet, um, do it when your husband's not home and he doesn't have to smell that, <laughs> that fingernail polish. I'll have our 14-year-old daughter be in charge of dipping all these. She loves painting her nails and stuff. <laughs> well, anyway, regardless of where you decide to use your fingernail polish, the point is you can cover the tip of that match with fingernail polish and you'll, you'll have a waterproof match.
Well, we wanted to add a little question and answer segment on the show, but we didn't have any questions to start with. So we made up a fictitious listener (laughs) and she sent us this question. So fictitious listener Amy in Delaware writes, The typical backpacking fare seems to be Slim Jims, Pop-Tarts, and Top Ramen. How do I get enough calories to keep up with the amount of calories that I'm burning, but not nutritionally trash my body each day? I know why Amy's from Delaware. Why? (laughs) Because Delaware was the last U.S. state to download the First 40 Miles podcast. We're not going to give him a hard time about that. (laughs) Even the United Arab Emirates has more listeners than Delaware. Oh, now I feel bad for Delaware because we're picking on Delaware. Even Myanmar has more listeners than Delaware. Well, we know that Amy's a devoted listener, even if she is fictitious. Basically, nature makes some of the best calorie-dense foods out there. So things like nuts, seeds, dried fruits, and beef jerky are a great source of calories and nutrition. And backpackers really do need good fuel and frequent fuel. So we found three fun options for you if you just want to grab something and go. First is Steve's Paleo Goods. And it's kind of an interesting story. Back in 2007, Steve Liberati was teaching CrossFit to a group of at-risk kids, and he really wanted to give those kids something healthier and a little more pure than the stuff they were getting in school lunches. So he started creating this mix, and he started giving it to the kids. So he donates 15% to their nonprofit that brings fitness to these at-risk youth. So one of the things that I tried that I loved was the Paleo Crunch Apple Pie Grainless Granola. And it's 160 calories an ounce, and it truly does taste like buttery apple pie. And it's all whole food ingredients. One of the other things that I saw that I haven't tried but I want to try is the spinach grass-fed beef paleo sticks. So it's an alternative to something like the Slim Jim. It's a really great option on the trail. If you're looking for meals, then Mary Jane's Farm has a huge selection of intensely flavored, world food-inspired, organic freeze-dried meals. Instead of being packaged in the traditional aluminum pouch, she packages them in something called an eco-pouch. After you're done eating the food, you can actually burn the eco-pouch in a hot fire and you will have no waste to carry out. If you have a little bit of a sweet tooth, as I've heard that Amy in Delaware does, then you may enjoy the stuff from Honey Stinger. I love the Honey Stinger waffles. They're unique and they have a different texture than maybe the what you're used to on the trail. It's not a granola bar. It's not a protein bar. It's a waffle and it's amazing. It's kind of like those Stroop waffles that they have in Holland, those really sweet, thin waffles. And those are fantastic because they're 160 calories an ounce, which is right in that window of what you want on the trail. So we have links to all of those things, Steve's Paleo Goods, Mary Jane's Farm, and Honey Stinger on the show notes at thefirst40miles.com slash 015. If you want your question answered on the first 40 miles, just message us on Facebook or Twitter and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. And preferential treatment goes to listeners in Delaware. And just as a side note, 
We just want to let you know that we don't endorse products or get sponsored. So anything that we share on the show is just to let you know what's out there. So don't feel pressured to buy or feel like you'll have any less of an experience if you don't buy the things that we talk about. It's really just informational and it's fun to learn about stuff for backpackers. We do get free samples from some of these companies once in a while, but uh, yeah, we're just sharing things to uh, expose you to them, let you know what's out there. We'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, St. Augustine, born in 354. So that means he's coming up on his 1,661st birthday. Dude, that's old. (laughs) People travel to wonder at the height of the mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long course of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and yet they pass by themselves without wondering. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, get outside and have some fun, and then tell us about what you did. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. and another brother and a sister that I have and the sister that I have as opposed to one of those sisters that you don't have don't have okay really I learned things in this show that I didn't plan on learning 1,661st I knew I'd mess that up (laughs) I, I practiced it wrong